Uh, Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Uh, we love you, God. Uh, we, we come here, Lord, and, and I know uh, you are the one who has uh, drawn souls here. You've stirred souls to get up out of bed, brush their teeth, and comb their hair, and come to church. So, God, I pray that you speak to every soul. Would you give everyone a word? There's nothing like a, a word from you, God, that just puts our life in perspective. So would you do that? And by your grace, would you work in and through me, God? You are my strength. You are my joy. and You are my breath. And I worship you, Lord. I want to pray also for our world, Lord. I want to pray for our brothers and sisters who are living in Ukraine and Russia. I know we have uh, Christians there, missionaries, and we have people who are good people that are just caught up in the midst of this chaos, Lord. You know, Jesus, you said in this world we'll have wars, and uh, it's just chaotic. It doesn't make any sense, Lord. So I pray that you move in hearts. Uh, God, I know there's no heart too big for you. Even, even Putin's heart isn't too big for you to change. Would you change his heart, Lord? Would you be with, with those who are staying and those who are fleeing, those who are in cars right now driving? God, would you be with them? Uh, give wisdom to our, our nation's leaders and world leaders. Give wisdom to them, God. I pray for peace. I pray people turn to you, Jesus, in the midst of this, in the midst of this mess. I also want to lift up our, our, our Thorn Creeker, who is... Uh, who's out on a ship right now in the Mediterranean and, and with the Navy, uh, would you be with Robert? And I, he may be watching, you know, this service or last night's service online while he's on that ship, Lord, waiting with other vessels um, from around the world, just sitting there. Would you protect him and all the sailors? Be with them, Lord. Watch over them. Thank you, God, for your good grace, your mercy. We're all in your hands, Lord. We recognize that. Your word says our flesh is like grass that, that comes and goes. So, Lord, would you um, speak to us? Your word endures forever. Speak to us, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah, pray for Robert. He's, uh, he's out there. God be with him. Um, hey, if you're just joining us, we're in this series called The Gospel of Mark, and we've been walking through the chapters in Mark. And it's really interesting when you go through the Bible, like you preach about things that you normally wouldn't preach about. It's uh, the Bible has a lot of stuff, you know, that? it has a lot of stuff. And, uh, and uh, last week I preached this message on the parable of the sower. And a lot of, a lot of you just talked about how God spoke to you. So if I want to encourage you, if you missed last week's message, go to YouTube our Thorn Creek YouTube page, and you can check it out. Um, and today we're in Mark chapter 5. Say 5 with me. Say 5. Turn to the person next to you and just tell them God has a word for you. And then, and then, you know what? Tell them this. Tell them this. Say, God wants to clean you out. Can you say that? God wants to clean you out. God wants to clean you out. Amen. God wants to clean you out. That's what he wants to do. Um, God woke me up uh, Friday morning at 3 o'clock in the morning, and uh, I got out of bed, and Grace was still in bed, and, and I went downstairs, and, and I sat on my sofa, and the Lord just stirred my heart to um, continue to work on the message. So I sat down in the middle of the dark at 3 o'clock in the morning, 
with my laptop on my laps, and I was working on this message from three in the morning to five in the morning. So if I'm preaching and I say something like, put the dog out or something like that, that's why it's just <laughs> it was in the middle of the night. But this message has uh, uh, really, the Lord's been stirring my heart about this message. Um, and, uh, and, and I want to start off by saying this. One moment in the presence of Jesus can change your life. One moment in the presence of Jesus can change your life. I don't know what you're going through. Um, I don't know what mountain you're facing. And maybe you're not facing a mountain. Maybe you're on the mountaintop. I don't know. But we're reading a story today about this guy who everyone, everyone gave up hope on. Everyone. In fact, they, they put him on the outskirts of the city and said, look, this guy's a hopeless case a lost cause, there's no way redemption or healing can come to this guy. And that's where they put him. And they just all knew him. They just kind of kept their distance from him. And they just let him live on the outside of the community. And if that's you, if there's something going on in your life that you think, boy, I've, maybe you stopped praying about something. Something so big in your life that you thought, you know what, <laughs> this is just part of my life and I just have to live with this now. I've got to live with this depression. I've got to live with this addiction. I've got to live with this problem. I got to live with this thing and, and I just can't shake it. It's just bigger than me. And you just kind of thrown in the towel and you've said, you know what, that's just, it's just over. It's just, I got to learn to live with this thing and that's where I'm at. Um, then this message is for you because one moment with Jesus can change your life. It can change your perspective of life. It happened to me when I, when I came to know Jesus in my bedroom in, in San Antonio. It happened to me, and I was in my, my bedroom, and, and Jesus met with me, and I didn't understand who Jesus was completely, not at all. Nobody talked to me about the four spiritual laws or the Roman road or any of that stuff. And, and I just, the presence of Jesus, Jesus met with me in my bedroom, and it changed my life forever. So one moment with Jesus can, it can change your view of your problems that you have today. It can take away the worries that you have about tomorrow. It can take away any anxiety or any stress or any demons. And that's what we're looking at in chapter five, guys. We're talking about demons today. Um, I don't know, how, how many of you have been at church? Or let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever heard a message on demons. You've heard a message, someone preached about, about demons. Okay, a few of you, maybe, maybe a quarter of you or so. Um, it's not something that's talked about a lot. I thought this would be a really cool Halloween message or something like that. To, or I should preach it in the dark or something with, you know, um, my, my, uh, my cousin was sleeping with us in our men's retreat and I texted him in the middle of the night and I just put, I'm watching you. <laughs> I, I put a picture of, of what's his name, Halloween dude, what's his, Michael Myers with a mask, like just looking over him. I, I sent him a picture. Anyway, um, verse one says this. So they arrived. You know what? You can, you know, when you have Jesus in your heart, you know, you're not afraid. There's, you know, God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind, right? God's not the author of confusion, but of peace, isn't he? All right, verse one. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of, uh, of Gerasenes. So this region is Gentile territory. I think it's important to look at the heart of Jesus. Jesus makes a stop in Gentile 
territory. And later on, we read that they have a bunch of pigs too. So this could be considered an unclean area, especially through the eyes of a Jew. But Jesus goes into an unclean area to show them his love, to talk about the gospel, to talk about why his purpose is and to come. It's just a beautiful picture of the love of God. And then verse 2 says, when Jesus climbed out of the boat. Can you read that with me? When Jesus climbed out of the boat. Just that part. When Jesus climbed out of the boat. And I think that's significant because um, if you look at chapter 4, like why were they in a boat? Well, in chapter 4, the last miracle here that we read about that happens in chronological order is when Jesus is on this boat. And there's this nasty storm that comes up about, you know, the, the, these, these uh, disciples. And then the disciples are terrified. And the, Jesus, do you remember, he's sleeping. Anybody, anybody you, know, you know, good sleepers here? He is sleeping. And they wake him up and they ask this question to him. They said, don't you care that we're going to drown? Don't you care about us? And then, of course, he gets up and famously, you know, you know causes, tells the storm to shut up, literally in the Greek language, as he says, shut up, and it calms down. And then they say, who is this man? But when he gets out in the boat, we don't know where Jesus, where his headspace is at. But, but um, for me, I, I look at that and I think, I think that question to Jesus, don't you care about us? I think, I think that was a hard question. Do you think Jesus cared about the disciples? Absolutely. That was really a jab at his character. And for me, when my character is attacked or questioned, that's about as low as it can go for me. Believe me, I live with a burden, (laughs) a burden to live a righteous life. And believe me, I don't need any help with that burden. It's a heavy burden that I live with before the Lord day and night. Jesus shows up, and Scripture says, when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. The other thing that jumped out at me is Jesus was getting out of the boat. So it's not like like he's... uh, in the church service, and there's someone possessed, and he has to deal with it or something. And, and incidentally, this is the third time that he faces an evil spirit. If you include Jesus when he was tempted in the wilderness by Satan after he was baptized. And then there's another time in chapter, chapter 1 where he casts out a demon. And this is, a, this is the third time now. And, and this time it's a bit different because this dude has a lot of demons. And, and we read about that. But he just got out of the boat. So I want to say this first. The most effective spiritual attacks happen when you're not expecting it. It's when you're tired. It's when things are going and you're just not expecting it. You know, you're just, maybe you just came from a spiritual high, like a retreat or even a church service. Maybe you're bored or maybe you're just tired. Maybe it's the mundane routine thing. I was taking my daughter to school, I don't know, a few months ago or so, and uh, I love taking, I've always loved taking my kids to school. We always read the verse of the day and I pray with them. Um, while I take him to school, I've learned to keep my eyes open when I do that. So I, I, I've just learned to do that. But I, I remember um, this one day, I'm taking her to school, and I'm driving out of our, our, our down our street, and I'm turning, and, and I'm driving, and there's this man 
who's like walking his dog and the guy's like slow as molasses, like the guy's one foot away from dying or something, I don't know, but he's just super slow. And I, he's with his dog and I'm coming up to the corner and the guy, like he doesn't fully commit. He like stops and he looks at his dog for a little bit like that. And I'm, I gotta take hand to school. So I'm like, do I go? Or do I not go? Has anybody been in that situation? You're like, is this guy, what is he going to do? Are they going to cross? Are they not going to cross? So I'm like, okay, he's looking at his dog. He stopped. All right, I'm going to go. I got to get it. So I start going. And as I'm going, the guy lifts up his head with his dog. Literally, when I'm right about he goes like this. <laughs> Just like that. So now I'm like, I'm like, you know, you know, doing that number. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I'm like taking Hannah to school. I take her to school. I, 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 I drop her off and I'm back. And there's the guy on the other side. He only traveled about 10 feet, incidentally. He's on the other side of the street and he's walking his dog. So I thought, I want to make things right because I, I, that's, that's who I am. I like to make things right. So I, I pull up beside him and I, I roll down my window and I said, hey, sir, 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 uh, please forgive me. I'm so sorry. I didn't realize you were trying to cross and then he let me have it every cuss word in the book of cussing dictionary came out of him just up and down I mean he literally and I'm like waiting for him to finish his broad vocabulary of cuss words and then and then and then what he does is I'm like okay now it's my turn to talk right he puts his back towards me and walks away actually kind of does this number and he walks away and then I'm like okay I I guess I'm going home now. Have you ever had a morning like that? Like, I did not expect that. Where did that come from? And then it takes a while for you to, like, recoup a little bit. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> it's like, this thing has gotten into me, and it's just affected my spirit, and, and I don't know what to do. And, and now when I drive by the guy, get this, he ignores me all the time. Shoveling his driveway, he turns his back on me. and does it. I don't even know the guy. And that was our only experience together. And I'm thinking, wow, what was that about? Have you ever had unexpected situations? This man was possessed by an evil spirit that came out from the tombs to meet him. Um, there's a slogan that I, I bet you maybe you've, you've seen. It's called Not Today, Satan. Anybody ever seen that slogan? See it on a bumper sticker or something like that. It's kind of a cool, do we have a picture of that? I thought we had a picture of Not Today. There you go. Uh, and and it's, um, it's kind of a cool statement. I mean, it's, it's, I, I like it. In our world, um, Satan and demons have been glamorized and cinematized. Glamorized and cinematized. Today, demons can mean a lot of things, right? Somebody says, I'm fighting my demons. I'm battling my demons. Well, that could be a bad habit. It could be a trauma. It could be a memory. It could be bad ghosts. It could be negative energy. It could be any of that stuff. Um, but in scripture, demons are, are much more than that. I'm going to help you understand this passage a little bit. We're going to look at where evil started. It started with this angel named Lucifer. And he was in heaven with God. He was one of God's angels. And one day he said something to himself. And here's what happened. Isaiah chapter 14 says it like this. For you said to yourself. Let's say that out loud. For you said to yourself. For you said to Okay, so that's a really important part in this story right here. Because the, uh, Satan or Lucifer says something to himself that puts his life on a new trajectory. And here's what he says to himself. I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. 
Now, what he said to himself was full of pride. Now, think about this. Being in the very presence of God, streets are made of gold, and God's there on his throne, and all of heaven is there. And while he's in heaven, pride fills his heart. Pride fills it. Pride is so powerful. Pride can affect anyone, Christian, non-Christian, whatever, believer, unbeliever, it doesn't matter. Pride is so strong. So I want to just stop and say this. The devil knows the power of what you tell yourself. The devil knows the power of what you tell yourself. Because he told himself something, and he believed it. It set his life on a whole new trajectory, and a result of it, there was a third of angels, a.k.a. demons, fallen angels, that went with him. What you tell yourself matters. What you tell yourself can put your life on a new trajectory. You convince yourself and you say, he doesn't like me and she doesn't like me and they're talking about me and they don't, they don't want any me and they don't value me and nobody cares about me and I'm just whatever. And you just tell yourself some things and you know what? You tend to believe it because you're telling yourself it. Not everything you tell yourself is true. You're not that smart. You're not that wise. I'm not that smart. I'm not that wise. And we can tell ourselves certain things that may not be true. And sometimes it's influenced by the enemy. Sometimes it's influenced by a demon. Sometimes it's influenced by our sinful nature. Whatever it is, we can tell ourselves things and believe them. And the enemy knows the power of what you tell yourself. He knows the power of what you tell yourself. In the Bible, you see this. Um, Revelation chapter 12, verse 9 says, This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan. You know, the name Satan means an adversary or one who resists, the accuser. That's who, that's who Satan means. The one deceiving the world was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. And in the Bible, you see over and over Satan is mentioned. Jesus was tempted by Satan in Mark chapter 1 in the wilderness. Um, he, Jesus called Satan the ruler of the world or the prince of the world. Jesus called Satan the father of lies. Do you know the difference between a lie and a truth? Really? Scripturally, biblically, do you know that difference? He was also, Jesus said, Satan works in the heart of those who disobey God. Satan wants people to disobey God. Jesus said Satan is an enemy of God. In fact, Paul said he was sent to turn people from the power of Satan to God. And in the book of Revelation, we know how the story ends. One day when Jesus returns, he'll overthrow Satan for good and cast him to hell forever. And scripture says Satan knows that his days are short. That's what scripture says. So I want you to hear this. You have an enemy. You have an enemy. The enemy, devil, the devil, Satan, Lucifer, he does not want you to turn to God. He wants to bring you down. He wants to discourage you. He wants to separate you from a loving community. He wants to separate you from truth. He wants you to be full of pride. He wants you to be in spiritual bondage. He wants you to be discouraged. He wants you to give up. The enemy wants you to turn away from God. He wants you to have a hard heart so you can't receive God's word. He wants you to have stuffed up ears so you cannot hear God speaking to you. And he will do anything to distract you or whatever it is to keep you from turning to God. 
And the enemy loves it when you harbor hatred, unforgiveness, resentment, bitterness, lust. Those are wonderful things for the devil. If you can harbor those things, you can't hear anything, and you're so heavy-hearted, you can't see anything with a clear eye. God loves you. There is this person, uh, I'm going to be real vague right now, um, because they attend Thorn Creek. This person from Thorn Creek Church, um, they've just been going through a hard time, and um, they, uh, <coughs> they uh, have been feeling like they've been spiritually attacked. And, and there's been some people who have said very unkind things to this, to this person. And you could even maybe even label it evil people. And, and this person on a spiritual level has just been down, just on a spiritual level. And uh, I, I'm aware of it. And um, I was at home and I was, I don't know what I was doing at home, but I think I was just in my bedroom or something like that. But the Lord put it on my heart to text this person a message. And I don't text this person a whole lot, but I have their number and, and the Lord just put it on my heart to text them a message. So, so here's the message I said. I said, hello. Then I said, uh, just want you to know God has put you on my mind. You belong to the Lord. And I felt like that was really important to put in the text. You belong to the Lord. You always have. You have nothing to fear, nothing to worry, nothing to be concerned. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. <clears throat> God is with you. Look forward to seeing you at church. We love you and are praying for you. So this person texted me back and said, you have no idea the timing of this message. And that was it. Well, a few days later, I talked to this person. And this person tells me, Pastor Ruben, and we're on the phone, this person tells me, Pastor Ruben, um, let me tell you about your text. Um, I've been so down. I, I feel like I failed. I feel like, you know, all these negative thoughts this person has. And, and, and this person says, um, it's really hard to keep it vague here. This person says, <laughs> um, when, let me tell you what was happening one night when, you, when, when I was driving and it was late and I, I had these thoughts while I was behind the steering wheel. And the thoughts I had was like, nobody cares about me. I might as well drive off the side of the road and hit a wall. And nobody would care if I was missing. Nobody would care if I died. Nobody would care if I'm here. Nobody would miss me. And she was having, oh crap. She was having, I'm sorry. I said crap. I normally don't say crap. I just want you to know that. I just upset at myself. Anyway, so um, <clears throat> forgive me, Lord. Uh, so I was, uh, I, 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 this person, uh, this person said, while they were having these negative thoughts, in the middle of these negative thoughts, that's when the text came through on their phone. Do you see God's love? Do you see how faithful he is? You know, God knows your thoughts right now. He knows what you're thinking about and he loves you so much. He cares about you and he sees your thoughts. He knows your thoughts. And here's the crazy thing. God even knows your thoughts before even they're going to go there before they're, I mean, God started stirring my heart to text this person. Like, I don't know, 20 minutes before it even happened. And God just knew by the time Reuben listens <laughs> 20 minutes later, it's going to be exactly at this time when this person's going to have these thoughts from the devil. 
and this person's going to get this text from me. That's who God is. God is loving and kind and gracious and faithful, and he cares about your thoughts, and he will not leave you or forsake you. He loves you so much. He knows the thoughts that you're entertaining that are from the enemy. He knows them, and he will not not let you down. Yeah, glory to God. I appreciate you guys. That's good stuff. I got all chills when I heard like, when I heard this person tell me, hey, I just want you to know where I was at. I was at a low place. Have you ever been at a low place? Let's talk about this thing called a demon possession because this guy was possessed by an evil spirit. Demon possession happens when a demon um, uh, possesses or fills a person or an animal, as we read in Mark chapter 5. That's demon possession. Um, we need to be careful about uh, um, understanding who Satan is. Uh, Satan is not omnipresent, meaning he's not all present. He's not God. He's not the opposite of God. He's not the opposite of Jesus. It's not the opposite. Um, he is a fallen angel. And when these demons um, have the ability to possess and certainly Satan. In fact, when you look at possession, um, Judas in the New Testament is probably one of the biggest examples. He was possessed by Satan and he betrayed Jesus. Um, and so it could happen like that. And, and, and when, you, when you can open yourself to possession, um, if you talk to missionaries, they'll tell you that they've seen demonic possessions, demon possessions. And sometimes it happens when um, people are, have this fascination with demonic activity, a fascination with demonic activity, or they, they worship heathen idols or cultic involvement kind of thing, or they possess occultic materials, you know, just that, that, that kind of thing. And they're, they're in this habitual sin, and, this, and they're staying in this habitual sin, and they keep going deeper in this, in this sin, and, and it doesn't, that just creates a, an opening for the enemy to take over your life. That's what it does, the demonic possession. It creates an opening. So it could be, you know, I've heard demonic possession even happening with someone who's binge-watching movies that are full of demon possession stuff. I mean, that's just dark stuff. Um, or maybe it could be lyrics from a song or videos that you can't stop going. You keep looking at and you know it's ungodly and, and you just keep going there. And the enemy is looking for opportunities to go into your life and influence you. And there's a difference between possession and influence because Simon Peter wasn't possessed, but he was influenced by Satan. Remember, Jesus told him, get behind me, Satan. Simon Peter is a Christian. So you can be a Christian and be influenced by a demon. You could be a Christian and be oppressed by a demon. I was uh, at home. Um, <clears throat> I, I live in Ephesians chapter 6, guys. I'm just telling you, it's my life. Putting on the full armor of God. I live there. And there was one night I was uh, at home and I... I I, I've, I've sensed attacks from the enemy before, and I just felt like, like a, a spiritual darkness around me. Have you ever felt this? A spiritual dark? And I started thinking of thoughts that were not good thoughts. I mean, dark thoughts, um, destructive thoughts, and all kinds of thoughts that, you know, um, you know this is how... Uh, whatever, you know, people feel about me, grace feels about me, the church feels about me, 
I haven't done anything. You know, just thoughts like that. Have anybody ever been there? Please raise your hand so I don't have to go to counseling this week. Uh, so, so, so I was having these thoughts and I was like, and, and, then, and then I realized because it started affecting the words that came out of my mouth and I started saying things to my wife that was not normal, uncharacteristic. And then I, I went to my room and I got on my knees and I was like, Jesus, I need you right now. I need you right now. See, there is a real spiritual world out there. There's two mistakes that we make. I want to share these two mistakes before we go back to the story. There's two mistakes we make when it comes to the enemy. One is we overemphasize our spiritual warfare. When we overemphasize it, that means like we blame every sin on the devil we blame every mistake, you know, we, ha- we make on the devil or something. I mean, the devil is in the vacuum cleaner. He's in the blender. He's in everything. I mean, you just throw that out and the devil made me do it kind of thing. And, and, and sometimes it's our own decisions that has caused us to be in this mess. You know, you just can't throw the devil under the bus all the time. And, and we, we tend to overemphasize spiritual warfare. And I'm just under a spiritual attack or whatever it is. And you could have just, I don't know, ate bad food or whatever. But the second thing we do is we might do is we underemphasize. We underemphasize a spiritual battle. We don't realize who the real enemy is. Can happen to Christians. And that's the thing that's most dangerous. Behind that anger, behind that division, behind that bitterness, behind that resentment, behind that lust, behind that argument, many times the enemy is working and pulling the strings. And you may not be aware of it. In fact, when you run across people that have a lot of anger and unforgiveness and resentment and bitterness, pray for them. Pray for them because you're just hearing the top of the iceberg. And, but there's this whole other thing underneath them that they're working through. Mark chapter 5, verse 3. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whoever, or whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue them. When I first read this, you know what the Lord showed me? Your spiritual condition can drive you away from the fellowship of others. Your spiritual condition can drive you away from the fellowship of others. It can. Um, it affected his community. I, I, I look at this and I recognize at one time, at one time, this guy was living in the village. That's what it says. At one time, this guy was able to be restrained. And in fact, maybe at one time, this guy was able to be, uh, you were able to have a conversation with him. You know what I mean? At one time, this guy, you were able to just talk through whatever the problem was. And at one time, he was functional. He was socially functional. He was, he was able to work through disagreements or whatever it was. And little by little, there's this gradual process that has happened where now the condition he's in is so dire that even chains will not hold him down anymore. And now the people don't know what else to do. It's like we used to know him a certain way, but he has changed. C.S. Lewis said this, Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, 
without signposts. That's the safest road to hell. It is the gradual one. Have you ever run across that with a person? You know, this person used to be a certain type of person where you could talk to and work things out. But they went on this spiritual road, a dark spiritual road. And as they've been on this spiritual road, you could no longer talk to them in the kitchen like you used to. You could, never, you could no longer do the same things and just work things out anymore because they've gone so far down the road. Their spiritual condition is worse now than it was a year ago. Their heart is harder. They're more stubborn. They can't hear very well. They don't share anymore. Whatever it is, they're in a different spiritual condition. And now you might be, I don't know what else to say to him. I don't know what else to tell her. They're just so far down the road. I don't know what else to do. Uh, Let me say this also. The devil almost always makes it personal. I've seen it happen so many times. When the devil convinces you something is personal and you buy into it, it is T-ball for the devil. When it's personal, it's like, oh, the gloves are off, and oh, you went too far, and you crossed the line, and it's personal. Don't talk about my husband that way, or my wife that way, and, and, or my kids that way, or whatever it is, and you replay that hurt. You put that person on the bad list. You take it personal. You convince yourself of something, and you make this little decision inside of you that I'm going to carry a grudge. I'm going to block them out of my life. I'm going to, they believe, I mean, you just, it just goes there. And for the enemy, that's his ultimate goal. If he can get you to take something personal, he's won. He's won the battle. And you convince yourself and say to yourself, it's personal, he's won. Verse 5 says, day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. I thought about this cutting thing. Let me just tell you, anytime you think about hurting yourself, the devil is behind it. Anytime you think about hurting yourself, the devil is behind it. God loves you and your life is incredibly valuable. He gives you breath every day. He cares about you so much. And we can cut ourselves too, but we can cut ourselves with words and memories and hurts and feelings and thoughts and all that kind of stuff. Verse six says, when Jesus was still some distance away, the, the man saw him, ran to meet him and bowed low before him with a shriek, with a shriek. I was talking to someone, I've, I've seen demon possession and, um, and uh, when you live in Ephesians 6, you, you, God puts you in these positions and he prepares your heart. One time I was, uh, I was on the phone with someone. I didn't know them. They called, they called me. And um, it was a guy, as I recall. And um, the whole time he was talking to me on the phone, he was asking for a Bible, which is not a normal phone call conversation. And he was saying, I need a Bible, I need a Bible, I need a Bible. But the whole time he was talking to me, he was talking to me like this. <sighs> I mean, the whole conversation, that's how he was breathing on the phone with me. And of course, my spiritual senses just went straight up. And I knew there's a spirit here that I'm dealing with right here. And I started praying within my, within my soul. And, and I said, I can get you a Bible. I can get you a Bible. And he just kept saying, I need a Bible. And he kept breathing like that. And all of a sudden, just like that, just like that quick, his breathing stopped, changed, and he be- became completely sane and he spouted off all kinds of cruel things to me and then hung up on the phone. Just like that. 
That's what the enemy, I mean, that's demon possession, guys. It's not anything to play with, but that can happen. And when I read this verse with a shriek, I think about that phone call. It says, he screamed, why are you interfering with me? Jesus, the son of the most high God. And then interesting, demons know who Jesus is. Demons know that he is the son of God. And it says, in the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. So now the demon is pleading with Jesus. He's praying to Jesus, saying, don't torture me. It's evidence also that you can pray to Jesus and not surrender to Jesus. You can pray and not surrender. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. I love the fact that There's no other name more powerful than the name of Jesus. No other name more powerful than the name of Jesus. I was having a conversation with one of our men at Men's Retreat. This guy doesn't attend Thorn Creek, but uh, this guy's in his, uh, I don't know, got to be close to his 70s. And I shared this at Men's Retreat. You guys have probably, if you attended, you remember this. But he told me we were getting coffee by this uh, wheel mill house anyway and he tells me hey pastor i want you to know something he goes the way i came to jesus i was i was 18 years old he's from new york city he said i was 18 years old and this guy came this guy i knew had a relationship he found jesus and he tells me um hey do you know jesus do you know jesus and this new yorker uh my my now brother (laughs) friend says says um yeah i'm a catholic and then the guy says no 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 but do you know jesus and then he said again, I'm, well, I'm Catholic. And he said, okay, do you know Jesus? And that stuck with him. And he wrestled with that question. It's a great question for us. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? And he eventually gave his life over to Jesus, but he would credit that guy for starting the process of a spiritual journey as he explored Christianity and turned to Jesus. Well, literally like 30 years pass, like uh, maybe 25 years or something like that. And this guy's now walking with the Lord and the Lord put it on my New Yorker brother in Christ's heart to contact the guy that led him to Christ that asked him, do you know Jesus? So he's like, I don't have this guy's number. They hadn't talked for 25 plus years. I don't, I don't, I don't have it. So he had to actually hunt for this guy's number. It took him some time and some work to find this guy and credit to him for being obedient to the Lord. So he ends up calling this guy back and says, Hey, I just want to say, see how you're doing. And I'm walking with Jesus and how are things going? And then the guy tells him, I walked away from Jesus. I'm not walking with Jesus anymore. And in that conversation, the Lord used my New Yorker Christian to bring that guy back to Jesus. Glory to God. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. And that's what God does. God is so good. He knows your thoughts. He knows when you're drifting. And he puts people in your life to help you find your way. That's what he does. Verse 9 says, then, dem- then Jesus demanded, what is your name? Oh, turn to the person next to you and just ask him, what is your name? Oh, what is your name? <laughs> and he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. A Roman legion had 6,826 men. 6,826 men. So we don't know if there were 6,826 demons inside of this guy, but we know there were a lot. And his name was Legion because of that. And I look at that, and the first thing that jumps out at me is like, Jesus can deliver anyone from any demonic stronghold. 
I don't know what you're going through, but there's no situation you're in that's too dire. Jesus can deliver anyone from anything. And right here, Jesus exerts and he's showing everyone that he has authority over the spiritual world. If you flip the page and go back to Mark chapter four, you know what he's showing everyone, the disciples, that he has authority over all of nature because he calmed the storm. And now he's showing everyone that he has authority over all the spiritual world. And you just see Jesus doing this. Verse 10 says, um, then the evil spirits begged him again and again, not to send them to some distant place. Tells me again also that the demons, they want to stay active. They don't want to be inactive. They want to possess something. In fact, other versions say they don't want to go to the abyss, to this dark place. And they, they, they want to instead, they, they, instead they, want to, uh, they want to possess someone. Verse 11 says, There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into these pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. Verse 13 says, So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and into the pigs and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. I think it's interesting too. It's like Jesus didn't even need to say, get out. You know, you see that in another place in Mark chapter one, he cast demons out. But in this story right here, the demons are begging him, let us go into the pigs. So what Jesus does is he just kind of says, all right, go ahead and go. That's all he does. I mean, he's Lord of everything. And he just tells these demons, go ahead and go. And they all go into these pigs, these 2,000 pigs, and they run across in the steep hillside and they drown in the water. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us how to fight our demons. Here's how to fight them. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It'll change your perspective of life and relationships and arguments and bad things when you understand it's a spiritual battle, not a human battle. There's a spiritual battle happening. Therefore, say therefore with me, guys. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand against your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, here it comes. Here comes our armor. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and, and the sword of the spirit, which is the, what church? Which is the, and, and, and what? Verse 18 says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. I like that word right there, be alert. Uh, immature Christian is oblivious. Immature Christian um, does not recognize when the enemy is even attacking them. An immature Christian. 
They don't think out about that hurt or that memory or whatever it is. They're, they're just kind of a puppet a little bit. Let me share with you some things to do, guys, to fight the devil. First is you need to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It's not about your strength. Spiritual battles require you to have spiritual strength. The strength comes from the Lord. It's not about your strength or your smarts, your IQ. It's not about you at all. It's about being connected and pressing into Jesus and, 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 and allowing him to work through you and staying in his word. You've got to stay in his word because this helps you with your thinking. This helps you understand how to process and work through relationships. And the second thing, he's got to put on the full armor of God. If you leave the sword behind, if you take off the helmet, well, now you're vulnerable. Now, now, you, now you believe things that you say to yourself or whatever it is. You've got to put on the full armor of God. Number three is you've got to get rid of anything in your life that is ungodly, evil, or spiritually dark. Anything. One of the things you can do, if you feel like there's something dark, so to speak, in your life, is clean your life out of anything that's ungodly. This is going to sound radical. But even if it means going through your house and saying, you know what, um, this is not good for me to have. This is ungodly. I know it's ungodly, and I keep it in my house, and it shouldn't be in my house. Or you watch videos, certain videos, or certain movies are in your house, or whatever it is. Anything that is just dark, spiritually dark, when you clean yourself out of that, out of that you just say, God, I, I, I want you to take this stuff out of my life. The enemy's always looking for an opening. I said the enemy in general, his demons, always looking for an opening, which is so different from Jesus, because in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, there's this image of Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And anyone who opens the door, I'll come in and, and be with him and dine with him. Jesus wants you to invite him in. <laughs> Jesus wants you to open the door and say, come into my heart. That's the heart of Jesus. The devil does the opposite. The devil looks for any crack and he goes in, intrudes. He's an intruder. He goes in and he tries to slip in in any way. So clean your house and your life and your heart from anything that you think is taking you down the wrong road. Maybe it means, you know what, I need to take a break from social media. I, need to, I, need, I just need to take a break from this or whatever it is. Just um, music, whatever it is. You just need to be aware. Be spiritually wise and recognize, boy, the enemy wants you to collapse. The enemy wants you to self-destruct. The enemy wants you to separate yourself. And, and you've got to be aware that you have this enemy. Get rid of anything in your life that's ungodly. At, at our house, we had this box delivered by Amazon, and it, it wasn't supposed to come to us. It was a wrong address. Has Amazon, or you ever got a box by FedEx or whatever, it was like, it shows up at your house, and, and we picked it up, and there's always like a curiosity about what's in it, you know what I mean? <laughs> Grace actually opened it up a little bit. Then she realized, oh, wait, this isn't ours. And then we, so anyway, it's been sitting in this box, and Grace called Amazon, like, we got to return this thing, and and it's not easy to return stuff. Um, you've got to drive and you got to, I'm like, what in the world we got to do? You got to fill out this form. And I'm like, they just came and dropped it off at our house. And it's been there for like a week. And I, every time I walked down into our, down our stairs, I would see this box that just felt like it shouldn't be in the house. 
And finally, I, I just, you know, I, I put on my brown hat and my brown trousers and my brown, like, I'm going to deliver it. <laughs> so I picked it up and I went, I'm like, I got to get it out of the house. And I found the address and I put it down. And then, I don't know, I took a picture with my phone because I always see them do that. <laughs> I just, but, I, you know, I just like had to get it out of my house. If you have that kind of attitude about your spiritual life and you say, this should not be in my life. This is changing me. This is changing my faith. It's changing my capacity to love. It's changing my ability to forgive. It's changing my capacity to be kind. I need to get it out of my life. Take those kinds of steps because God is pleased when you take those kinds of steps. Sometimes what people do, and I do this in my own house, maybe you've done this before, is we have um, dedicated homes. We've gone into homes, and I have anointing oil, and we read a scripture out of Psalm, a chapter out of Psalm, and I literally walk through every single room in the house, and I'm praying that God would cleanse that room from any, any, any demonic spirit, anything unclean. Done it before. Sometimes people have called me because they've told me that they're convinced they're, someone in their house is possessed. They've changed so much in their own home. And they've told me, would you just come to our home and go into his room and pray over his room? So they like set it up where I go and, and they don't want him to be there. And I remember I took a pastor friend with me and, and we went into this place. And as soon as I walk into that room, I sensed a demonic in that room. Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? Some of you have been there before. Those of you who are serious. And I walked in there and I just prayed and I anointed in the name of Jesus Christ. You have to ask God to clean your house, clean your heart, clean your life. And then resist the devil every day. James says, so humble yourself before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Isn't that a good word? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And number five is get closer to Jesus. Get closer to Jesus. Your ability to fight demons successfully is entirely hinged to your relationship with Jesus Christ. Get back to the story in chapter five. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town. So check out the crowd shows up and the surrounding countryside spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. I, I, I see that. And I think, how cool is that? The guy is known as the man who had been possessed. He's just so different. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly, what? Perfectly sane. And they were all afraid. You know, when someone is possessed, their countenance changes. Have you seen that before? You ever seen someone who's just like super angry, how their face changes? Or someone who's spiritually dark, how their face changes? Have you seen that? His countenance was different. You read about this with Cain and Abel all the way back in Genesis chapter 4. Cain allowed the devil to take over his heart and, and God has a conversation with Cain and said, why are you so dejected? Why has your countenance fallen? Just do what's right. Just do what's right. And this guy is sitting on the side, and I don't, know, I don't know what that looks like. Maybe he was sitting on a rock or something like that. But whatever it is, he's sitting down, and he just looks different. And people look at him, and they're afraid. 
I, I think they were more comfortable with the possessed guy than the free guy. I think they were, I think that was kind of in their box of thinking that they thought, okay, this is how it's supposed to go down. This guy's supposed to just go out, live on the outskirts, be possessed, keep him away, let's everybody stay safe and wait for him to die. I think that's where everyone was at. But Jesus shows up and Jesus loves so much and every soul matters to him. And he heals the guy and the 2,000 demons, you know, these demons, this legion runs into these 2,000 pigs and the guy is set free. And he's just sitting there and he's just processing, thinking about, wow, who is this Jesus? He's been, he's been the center, the target of the power of God. And it's come down on him. Verse, uh, verse 16 says, Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. I think the only one, when you look at Genesis, this area of the only citizen in Genesis that wanted Jesus was the guy who had been possessed. In fact, when you keep reading, it says that. It says, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. And that's just a mark of someone who's been changed by Jesus. I see this with people all the time when they turn to Jesus. they like, you know what? I can't get enough of church. I want to be at church all the time. They don't miss church. Like, I just want to be at church. I want to clean church. I want to help out in church. I want to serve. Whatever you need, I just want to be there. And the reason why they have that attitude is because they've been changed by Jesus. Jesus is real to them. But Jesus said, no, go, say go with me, go home to your family and what and what? Go and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and tell. I want you to go and tell and I didn't share this last night, guys, but this word merciful is related to compassion. It's related to compassion. And Jesus is saying, look at the compassion God has for you. God has so much compassion. He's not willing to leave you where he found you. God is not willing to leave you where he found you. He's not going to leave you in that dark place. He's not going to leave you in that anger. He's not going to leave you in that addiction. He's not going to leave you in that lust. He's not going to leave you in that pride. He's not going to leave you in that broken place. He loves you so much. He wants to deliver you and set you free in the name of Jesus. He wants to deliver you and set you free. And he says, look how, tell everybody how much compassion God has for you. And that's what the guy does. That's what the guy does. He's ready to be a missionary and hang out with Jesus and go on the boat and be the 13th disciple. But Jesus says, look, you just need to stay here. Your mission field is your home. Be an example in your home. Let those who live with you see the transformation inside of you. Let those who live under your roof See how your heart has changed. Let them hear the words from the changed hearts. Let them see you. It's really hard, guys. I'll just tell you this. Um, an atheist, a skeptic, an agnostic can debate about a lot of stuff. And, you know, that's just the nature of it, right? Can debate a lot about a lot of stuff. But it's really hard. It's really hard to argue transformation. 
It's really hard to argue a changed life. It's like it is what it is. It, it, it is what it is. You cannot deny this is a guy who had previously been possessed by a legion and now he's sitting down completely sane and he's like talking and having a conversation and they're like, who is this guy? And the guy, all he sees is, I just want to go hang out with Jesus. I'm ready to leave everything. I'm ready to leave everything. I'm ready to leave home forever. I've not met anyone like Jesus. And all of a sudden, his whole order of priorities has been like totally inverted. And now he's like, Jesus is on the top. All that matters is Jesus. And everything I have doesn't matter. And everything is just nothing else matters. I just need Jesus. I just want to be with Jesus. I just want to be with him. Nothing else matters. That's what we do when we spend time with the Lord. It's like, I just want to spend time with Jesus. I tell people over and over and over, I'm just a Jesus follower, a Jesus lover that happens to be a pastor, guys. That's all I am. Jesus wants you to go and tell. So the man started off to visit the 10 towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. He's in Gentile territory. He's a Gentile missionary. And he's going around telling these Gentiles, these, this unclean race, he's telling them, this is what Jesus has done for me. A scripture doesn't say how many people turn to the Lord in Genesis. It doesn't say that. But I have a feeling there were a lot of people that started seeking Jesus. Wouldn't it be cool if you lived in such a way that because of the transformation in your life, people came to know Jesus? Wouldn't that be cool if your life was so changed and so transformed, people looked at your life and the transformation and they said, I need to know what got a hold of you. Is that you? Are you living that life? Transformed that people look at you and they want to know your God? If nobody wants to know your God, you're not living right. If nobody wants to know your God, then you have a spiritual problem. And you need to turn to Jesus. Well, I want to pray, guys. And um, <clears throat> I'm trusting the Spirit of the Lord has just stirred your heart. But in my prayer, I felt led to do this. I want to pray. I want to pray for demons to flee. So I don't know what you're facing, but I'm going to pray over you in the name of Jesus. And if that's your prayer, I want you to receive it. Can you do that? Jesus, thank you for your grace and your love. You're so good. Thank you, God. Jesus, I'm glad you went to Genesis, and you were only there for a little bit, but it was long enough to recruit a missionary. And thank you for that story. We're grateful, Jesus, that there's that you are Lord of, of the spiritual world. Right now, if you want to turn to Jesus, would you just say this? Say, Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to be my Lord, my Savior, my God. Forgive me for my sins. I repent to them. I change my mind. I turn away from them and I want to live for you. Others of you, maybe you can even consider yourself a Christian and maybe there's, you've been attacked spiritually or maybe even a demon has possessed you or has influenced you or is opposing you or whatever it is or you feel oppressed, whatever it is, I just command that demon out of you in the name of Jesus Christ. I rebuke that demon of lust and pride 
and anger and jealousy and greed, whatever it is, I rebuke that demon out of your life of disbelief in the name of Jesus Christ. Command you to leave. Thank you, Jesus, for your name. Thank you for your love. It's in your name we pray. Amen.